This morning, if you'll turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 20, I'm going to be reading to you verses 1 to 12. The book of Acts in the second section of the book largely covers the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul and his many labors to see churches established and the gospel preached in many, many regions of the world of that day. And uh, Paul was highly successful in doing that, but he also suffered very much uh, as he went on his way. And uh, we need to see that uh, this morning that he did not let that get him down. In fact, he went on to become a great encouragement to many brethren in many places, and that's what I want to speak to you about here this morning, how it was that the Apostle Paul encourages the brethren. So let's bow together for prayer. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture. Thank you for all of the Scriptures, which are rich with the wealth of spiritual truth for our souls, so that as we hear the word preached and receive it, that it does us good. It does our soul good, and it works in us that precious work of your grace in accordance with truth, so that we become people who are changed and transformed by it. And Lord, this morning we want to focus on what it meant for Paul to be an encouragement to the brethren, but we want to also think about how we can be an encouragement to the brethren around us as well. So I pray that you will help us at this time and guide us into the truth of this passage so that we will be changed by it and that we will learn many good things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 20 and verse 1. After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Now when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him, as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia. Also Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians and Gaius of Derba and Timothy and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and in five days joined them at Troas where we stayed seven days. Now in the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together, and in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him, 
said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now when he had come up and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even until daybreak, he departed. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. So Paul decided to leave Ephesus after this uproar had taken place over Demetrius's. He was a silversmith. His objections to Paul's preaching that there is only one true and living God. Paul had accomplished a great deal in the past two or three years there in Ephesus. The gospel of Christ had been preached in many synagogues and in many places in Asia. And the idolatry of the people of that region had been confronted. Paul had exposed it to be false worship. And so after the uproar ceased, it says here, he called the disciples to himself and he embraced them. And he departed to Macedonia. He went back over to those places that he had preached and established churches. And it says in verse 2 that he encouraged them with many words. So I want to speak to you today about Paul's ability to encourage the brethren. And I want to convey to you the truth that if we can learn how he encouraged the brethren in those days, then perhaps we will be able to encourage one another in similar ways. I want to open up this thought by speaking to you, first of all, of Paul's encouragement to the saints by his words of exhortation in verses 1 and 2. We see Paul's encouragement by his words to the saints at a number of points here in the first 12 verses of this chapter. Uh, It says, When the uproar had ceased there at Ephesus and the mob was dispersed by the word of the town clerk, then Paul called the disciples there to himself and it says he embraced them. Now he knew that he was going to have to leave Rather than stay, he had been there for two to three years, like I've said, but the Lord Jesus was calling him on to other places so that he would fulfill his ministry as an apostle. And we'll see that in the latter part of this same chapter that we're studying here today. He had been called to a ministry to be an apostle and a preacher and a teacher to the Gentiles as well as to the children of Israel. It was a very great and widespread ministry, and he had not completely fulfilled it yet. But we'll see in the latter part of this chapter his final words to the elders of the church of Ephesus, that he would not see them again ever in his life. And so we see here the importance of what we're studying here this morning. The Lord Jesus was calling Paul on to other places, I'm saying so that he would fulfill his ministry as an apostle and a preacher and a teacher to both the Gentiles and the Jews. And you know, uh, you should understand that any man who is a true called minister of the gospel has a ministry that is given to him by God. And he's given that ministry to fulfill in relation to the people he's called to. In Paul's case... He was, like I said, very widespread in his ministry. Uh, He was only for short periods of time uh, in a local church there at Antioch. He was there and reported back to them when he was sent out. 
as a missionary. But I want you to see, and this sets the stage for my next sermon to you, that the Apostle Paul wanted to do everything that he could in his remaining time as a minister and a man to encourage the brethren. So he embraced them, it says here, before he left. Very valuable piece of information that we're given here. For it shows us how much he loved the brethren. And we need to remember that this great apostle who proved himself by the grace of God to be able to hold forth the truth in situations where he was opposed was also a very personable, warm, and friendly person towards those whom he ministered to. He did not hide his love for them. He made it plain to them by his embracing them, it says here. Let me ask, do you have a holy affection for those who preach the gospel to you? I had to ask myself the question, do I have this kind of affection for you? Well, I trust that you know that I do. But turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and you will see what Paul's affections for the brethren were like there. They were the same as they are portrayed here, and we will see how they were related to his exhortations to them. I want us to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 8. It says here, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children, so affectionately longing for you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. So these words reveal much about Paul's heart as he ministered the gospel and the word of God to people in this place. He was not speaking from error or deceit. He was not in any way speaking from selfishness, he says, or uncleanness. He did not use flattering words as a cloak for covetousness or to get something from them, but he and his co-workers were gentle among them, he says. Gentle like a nursing mother feeding her child. So he was saying, let me give you the milk of the word because I love you in the bonds of of Christ. I will give it to you often. I will give it to you personally. 
I will give it to you affectionately so that you will be nourished by the word and you will profit by it. That's how Paul was. So affectionately did he long for them to profit by his ministry that he and others with him were well pleased to impart to them, he says, not only the gospel, but also their own lives. And why? Because they had become very dear to him, he says. So a good minister of Christ Jesus will live in just this way. When he sees that the people who he's preaching to are receiving the gospel and God's word and they're living it out in their lives, he ministers to them by giving to them much of his own life. He's willing to spend and be spent in service for them because they become very dear to him. This, by the way, is how the gospel normally goes forward in any place. It's when the minister has an affectionate love for the people that he ministers to. And there's also then an affectionate love for the brethren, for one another, and for their minister. And where this exists, the grace of God will spread to more and more people. Well, Paul knew that he had to leave, and the Spirit was leading him on to Jerusalem. He knew there was going to be much conflict that he was going to run into in Jerusalem, but he longed to see the brethren in every place that he could before he came there. And so it says that when he left to go on his way, it says in verse 2 that when he had gone over that region that he encouraged those who he was able to meet with, with many words. And then he came to Greece and he stayed there three months. This word encouragement, which we find here in verse 2 in the New King James, is translated in the King James and in the New American Standard Bible as exhortation. When Paul had exhorted them, the word in the Greek is parakalesis, And it means that in exhorting and admonishing them of what they should do in terms of holding fast the truth that he spoke to them in such a way that would encourage them to think and to live out the truth that he was speaking to them. He spoke to them many words in this way. And then he prayed that they would be led on to an obedience, a greater obedience to God, and they're being faithful in their lives to Christ. Let me ask you now, if you have a gift and a desire to encourage the brethren as you exhort them, if you have the gift of exhortation, do you have the gift of exhortation? If you do, you ought to study to be an encouragement to the brethren as well. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 14, Paul says, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another. He says, the word in the Greek, therefore, admonish, is nutheteo. 
where we get the word newthetic. You've probably heard of newthetic counseling. You want to instruct a person on how they can change their sinful behavior or attitudes in accordance with biblical doctrine. But you want to do so in the right way. And what Paul is saying here is that when you go about to exhort a brother in relation to how they ought to live their Christian life, you should make sure that you are filled with goodness, as Paul says here. That you are filled with the grace of spiritual goodness. And that you relate the knowledge of the Bible to the person that you're speaking with out of the fullness of your heart that you really love that brother or sister with the love of Jesus Christ. Exhortation in this sense is not simply telling that person what they need to know to correct them in their understanding. But what you're trying to convey to them also is your great love and concern for them personally. And this comes out in your attitude and in your countenance, how you look at people, and in the way that you speak to them, that is, out of your humility and your gentleness. This should be true of all of us. In the vast majority of the cases in which we are trying to exhort or admonish other brethren, we should greatly desire to encourage them with our exhortations. Second, Paul's encouragement to the saints by his faithfulness in ministry, verses 3 to 8, verse 2b, to set the context, says, And Paul came to Greece... And stayed there three months, and when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia, and Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus and Segundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derba, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. These men going ahead waited for us, that is, Luke and Paul, at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and in five days joined them at Troas, Troas, where we stayed seven days. What was happening here was that the Holy Spirit was leading Paul in relation to his preaching ministry. He was leading him to be in just the places that he would have him to be to fulfill his ministry of preaching, and also to build up the saints. Now his concern was for all the churches that they would be faithful to the word that he preached to them. And Paul always prayed for them all, for their greatest good. And he prayed to be faithful to the greatest number of saints that he could in these cities and areas that he came to. And this was not easy for him to sort these things out. But he managed to accomplish all that was really a concern to him and to the Lord, even through many dangers, toils, and snares. He went to Greece again, and he stayed there three months, it says. Now, I'm sure that a good portion of his time was taken up in preaching and teaching those disciples who were one to Christ when he was in Greece before. This would have been Dionysius, the Areopagite, and Damaris, and others who were one to Christ while he was there. 
Previously, probably a great number of people who had been persuaded to believe in Christ in the city of Athens and that region where so many people had no doubt heard Paul and the gospel, which he preached in every place, he says in another place. While he was there, it says here in these verses, there was a plot that was contrived by the Jews against him. And just as he was getting ready to sail for Syria, he decided then to return to Macedonia. So Paul was being opposed wherever he went by legalistic Jews who did not want him to preach about Jesus and the great salvation that is in him. And while he was in Macedonia, he wrote a, he wrote a letter to the church at Corinth, which we have in our Bible, which is the book of 2 Corinthians. And in that letter, we find Paul's deep concern for the saints there that they would not believe false reports about him or his ministry. He wanted them to remember that he had given them every indication by his speech and conduct that he was a true apostle. I want you to turn with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and I want to read to you verses 3 to 13. The apostle says here, We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and the left by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying, and behold, we live as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open, he says here. So did Paul sometimes get downcast? Well, yes, he did. But it says here that God comforted him. He comforted him in the midst of these times when he became downcast. Part of his becoming downcast was because of his reception at points by the members of the church in Corinth when he had to reprove them over various things, which he did in his letter in 1 Corinthians. 
But I want you to be able to see from the way that Paul writes here how Paul was able, even though he experienced all of these difficult things, he, in, he went forward to encourage these many saints in these many churches by his zealous love for them. He convinced them by all that he was suffering that he was a faithful minister and an apostle to their souls so that they would be spiritually safe. Believing right doctrine, yes, but also that they would see his love for them and that they would respond to him in this same way. And we see that they eventually did come to this. And Paul heard about it through Titus. And let me apply this to you, brethren. I would, I would pray that you would see the love that I personally have for all of you here in Christ in the same way. I pray that you will reciprocate it so that we can bear much fruit together to God. Indeed, I think I can say it has been the case that together over these many years that we have persevered in this good work that the Lord has called us to do of holding fast the truth of the Word of God and loving one another for many years. And I pray that we will continue to grow in our understanding of how we can see this church built to the glory of God and bear much fruit for Him. I pray that you will open your hearts to me as mine is to you. And that together we would, through prayer and faith, see many people in this community come to understand the gospel and be saved and join with us. We need to remember that Paul went through all these things that I just read to you. And he, he lists all of these things so that you and I will learn how to encourage one another. That's what I'm trying to show you. And when we do so, we will strengthen each other's hands in this good work that we're called to do. And then third, and finally, Paul's encouragement to the saints by his calm perseverance in preaching in the midst of providential difficulties in verses 7 to 12. So here we see that Paul finally comes to Troas and he rejoins his traveling companions and he meets with the church there and it says that they were seven days in Troas ministering there and there are a few things here which I believe we should take notice of for the strengthening of our faith in relation to our own corporate worship. After a few days there it says in verse 7 of our text, now on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Now it's evident from this passage that Paul knew that Sunday was the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's day. For there is no mention here, neither is there any mention in, in the whole book of Acts of Paul's observing the Jewish Sabbath or Saturday as the day of public worship for the church of Jesus Christ. It's true that Paul preached in the synagogues 
on the Jewish Sabbath day, but never was there corporate public Christian worship that was conducted on anything but the first day of the week as it was here. It says the disciples came together and they did so to worship God and to break bread or to observe the Lord's Supper together. The reason that we observe Sunday as the Christian Sabbath in this church is because the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments was not ceremonial when it was given. It was moral. And it was given at the beginning of the world so that men might rest. God didn't need to rest at the beginning of the world, but man did, and God knew that. So that's why we should rest from our six-day our six-day weekly work and observe a holy rest unto the Lord. It's also the reason why we should come and worship God and encourage all of our other Christian friends who don't regularly worship the Lord on the Christian Sabbath to do so because it's a moral commandment which you and I should glory in. When Christ rose from the dead, it was on Sunday. It was on the first day of the week. And since Christ fulfilled the law, including this commandment, the fourth commandment, the day was changed from Saturday to Sunday. And this is the evidence of it here in the book of Acts, that that's what they did. They didn't have to redo the commandment. The commandment was already in the law in the Old Testament. But Christ fulfilled the law. And since he fulfilled all the law, he gave it back to us. That is the day so that we might observe it as unto the Lord as a Christian Sabbath, devoting ourselves to God on this day, Sunday, every week, which is what we do by the grace of God here in this church, to rest from our six-day labors and to worship God here in this place. Well, Paul had much to say that day. This is very interesting stuff. And uh, so follow me. As I go on here, when he preached to them on the evening of that day, it says he spoke to them and he continued his message until midnight. Oh boy, this is interesting stuff, isn't it? There were many lamps burning in the upper room, it says, where they were gathered together. So evidently, uh, Paul spoke for a very long time. In one of the windows sat a certain young man named Eutychus, and he really did want to listen. I, I think he really did. <laughs> he, he wanted to listen, but Paul had been going on and on, and he'd been going on for a long time, and Eutychus was fighting this sleep. He was trying to blink back his drowsiness for quite a while, and finally, he was overcome by sleep and as Paul continued speaking he it says here in the text he fell down and was picked up dead after he fell down from the third story what an awful thing to happen to a young man who i believe really wanted to hear the word really wanted to receive it now we could draw certain conclusions from this that may not be appropriate uh, such as let this be a warning to you concerning sleeping during a sermon. Look at what happened to Eutychus. Well, yes, we certainly ought to try to stay awake when the sermon is being preached, ought we not? 
But we could also make a wrong application of this in the other direction to long preaching. A preacher ought never to preach long sermons. Well, Paul would disagree with you, at least here in this case. I know there were special circumstances here and that Paul was not going to see these folks again. This was the last time he would ever speak to them and he had much on his heart and his heart was full and that's why he spoke till midnight to them. I know that that's true. And a good preacher can go too long to really hold his hearer's attention and he should avoid that if he can, if he really wants those who are listening to him to drink in all that he's saying, things that would be for their good, for their upbuilding, and their strengthening in their faith. But it does appear from this passage that Paul thought it necessary to preach that long until midnight, it says here in the text. And the congregation was lovingly and respectfully listening to him and drinking it in. Eutychus was simply overcome. Uh, He was not bored. There's a difference. And that being said, I think that the thing that we should focus on from what's being said here is what happened after he fell from the window and died when he hit the ground. It says that Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him said, do not trouble yourselves for his life is still in him. In other words, Paul by the power of Christ was able to raise Eutychus from the dead. And in this good way, he, it says here that he brought no little encouragement to all of the disciples, says in verse 12. And what is also remarkable is that after this, they went back upstairs. They didn't call the meeting off. Uh, they went back upstairs and they observed the Lord's Supper. And then Paul spoke to them, it says, he spoke with them a long time. It says in verse 11, even until daybreak when he departed. So the thing that I want to impress upon you in closing is this, that God can and oftentimes he will through the preaching of the word bring his resurrection power to bear in such a way by the power of the spirit that a believer's mind and body as well as their soul can be strengthened and refreshed by it rather than wearied. So much, my beloved brethren, depends upon your spiritual appetite and interest in the Word of God and spiritual things. And I pray that in the case of our congregation here that our appetite and our interest will be strong. And I will not try to preach sermons which are too long for you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time around your word and we thank you for these precious truths that are in this passage for us to glean from. We pray that each one of us would take them to heart and that we would learn to be an encouragement in our exhorting of other brethren here in this assembly uh, in terms of uh, our being able to exhort brethren in every place that we go and in terms of our listening to the word, uh, whether the sermon is short or long. 
that we would have spiritual appetite, good spiritual appetite for the things that you would teach to us. Help us to be good listeners, but also then to be doers of the word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.